So as you know, I've been talking over the last few weeks about fasting. <laughs> so, yeah, why? <laughs> well, the Bible teaches it. And so my responsibility is to teach you the whole counsel of God's truth. Amen? And so I want to make sure that I'm teaching you from the Word of God. I want to make sure that you are understanding it in a way that you're able to apply it to your life. And that is my goal this morning. I also want to remind you that the reason why we teach on things like fasting is because the goal in our Christian life is growing in godliness, growing in Christ-likeness. You remember I told you the Great Commission over the last several weeks, and I'm going to focus on that a lot this year, but He told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He told us to make disciples of every nation, and ultimately a disciple is someone who actually follows after the example of whoever it is they're following. So we can't necessarily say we're becoming disciples unless indeed we see that we are trying to imitate His life in our lives. And so, thank you sir. And so I want to make sure that you understand that I'm not just trying to give you some um, charismatic um, discipline that only the super elite Christians practice in their life. I'm trying to give you tools for the everyday, ordinary disciple of Jesus Christ that as they practice these things that the Lord has given to them, then they will grow in godliness and in Christ-likeness, and you will truly see yourself becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. The truth of the matter is, and I know I say this a lot, but it's important that you get this. You cannot make your call and your election sure, as Peter calls us to do. You cannot be sure that you are called by God and that you are elect and you are His child. You cannot be sure of that and you cannot make it sure unless you see the evidence of discipleship in your life. Go back and read 2 Peter chapter 1 and he will tell you, if the qualities of discipleship are in your life, then you can make your call and your election sure. And those qualities were adding to your faith, because faith is the foundation of it all. But he said you add to your faith virtue. You know what virtue is? It's moral excellence. It means that yes, I'm not saying that, that we are saved by earning our salvation and working as hard as you can work because we know that that is not what the Bible teaches. But I am telling you that the Bible says that faith without works is what? It's dead. And so yes, faith and works go hand in hand. The truth of the matter is they are tied together at the hip. And so we are saved by faith alone but genuine faith will evidence itself by adding virtue to this faith. Why? Because faith in Jesus leads you into virtuous living. Okay? And so we add to our faith virtue, and then we add to our virtue self-control. You know why that is? Because what good is virtue if you practice it today, but you don't control it and continue to do it tomorrow. What good is this knowledge and this ability to be able to know what is good and what is right if you don't control self and actually walk in it? Any of you ever known what was right to do and didn't do it? Many times. 
And so we have to understand that as disciples, we are adding to our faith virtue, adding to our virtue knowledge, adding to our knowledge self-control, adding to our self-control perseverance, and so on and so on. You go back and read it for yourself. The point is that the only way you can make your call and your election sure, the only way that you can know that you are indeed a disciple of Jesus Christ on your way to spending eternity with Him, is if you see the evidence of faith in your life. Are y'all tracking with me? This is so vital because this is where we get so mixed up in denominations today. We say, well, you got to do this and you got to do this and you got to do this to be saved. No, what you have to do is have faith in Jesus to be saved. However, Faith in Jesus will do this and this and this. And you say, well, we're splitting hairs, ain't we, preacher? Paul wasn't. He spent all of Romans, he spent the majority of his writings in the New Testament trying to help Jews understand you cannot work to earn your salvation. It is only through faith alone that you can be saved. But then at the same time, he and James both emphasized the fact that true faith will be putting off fleshly things and putting on Christ-likeness, right? And so this is what we're looking at. The goal of a disciple of Christ is that you and I are actually becoming disciples. And so it's my goal, especially this year, to preach and teach to you in such a way that I'm giving you the tools that you need to be able to see discipleship in your life. Fasting is one of those tools. And so when I say fasting, if that's something that you've never practiced in your life that you don't know anything about, don't run from it. Just think about what the Bible says. Go with me again back to Matthew chapter 6 and look at verse 16. Let's go straight to the source. The Word of Jesus Christ Himself. If you've got certain translation, these words are probably written in red. What does that tell you? This is the words of Jesus. This is not some after the fact. This is straight from the source. And look what he says. I'm sorry, we don't have the screens up here today, so you're going to have to look at your Bible, which is not a bad thing. But this is what it says. And when you fast... Did y'all catch that? He's preaching a sermon on the mount, and he's preaching to disciples of his. And he looks at them and he says... When you fast. Now notice Jesus did not say, if you fast. Notice Jesus did not say that soon you will fast no more. But instead, Jesus speaking to disciples said very plainly, when you fast, and now we have the warning, the first warning. He says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. So there's a way for you to not fast. He didn't say you don't fast. He said you don't fast like this. And the way he does it, he gives you a bad example. He says there are people who look gloomy when they fast. They disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. So here's the wrong example. The wrong example is that we're not trying to do these things so that everybody around you can see that you're so religious. (laughs) So that everybody around you can see that you are such a godly person. No, if that is why you fast, there's a reward for that. There is. And 
You don't want that reward. Notice what he says next. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, that alone doesn't teach us that there is rewards in fasting, but partly it teaches us that indeed there are rewards in fasting. God blesses those who go through fasting. And we're going to look a little bit more at that in a minute. But first, the point is is that we want to make sure we see the warning. We're not fasting this way. Next, we're going to be able to see the direction. How do we fast, Lord? In verse 17, notice he says it again. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. So here's the exact opposite of what these hypocrites were doing. He says, when you fast, you do it in such a way that nobody looks at you and sees that you're fasting. You ain't got your cheeks all sunken in and you ain't didn't take a bath that morning so that your hair's all a mess and you, you look a wreck. Uh, no, instead... You put on your good clothes, you wash your face that morning, you go to work, you continue on, just as if nothing is changed in your life. However, in your life, you are fasting. You are abstaining from normally good fleshly pleasures to seek after the Lord God with all your heart. And the Bible tells us that those who diligently seek Him, God is a what? A rewarder. He is a rewarder. And notice what this says next. He says, If your fasting is not seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, then your Father who sees you... Notice God sees it, right? If you are seeking for God to see your fast, you better believe something. He'll see it. And your Father who sees in secret will what? He will reward you. The point being is that there are rewards in spiritual disciplines. Now, I'm not telling you that you are going to force God's hand with fasting. You're not. That's not what fasting does. You're not going to fast and say, God, I'm just hoping for that new car. And I'm over here fasting and, that, and, and then tomorrow you're going to wake up and they're going to deliver that car to you in your drive. That's not fasting. No, as a matter of fact, that's a good way to get your fasting ignored. That's a good way for your prayers to be hindered. You know why? Because the Bible also teaches us that when we ask with selfish motives, you have not. You have not. And you're not going to have in those cases. Fasting is a true desire to deny self. Not to want more self, but to deny self for the sake of of seeking God, of understanding that God, you are the only thing and the only one that can truly satisfy me in my life. There is nothing else. What I'm truly seeking the most in my heart is God Himself and more of God. And I'll explain more of that here in just a few minutes. But the point is, the goal of fasting should be to be seen by God. That's your goal. God, I want you to see that I want you. God, I want you to see that, yes, food is good, but I want food to eat that nobody else knows of. You remember that story of the woman at the well whenever um, um, the disciples went off to get something to eat? The Bible tells us that Jesus sat down by the well because He was tired. And we also know that He must have been very hungry because the disciples were very worried about Him eating, right? And they come back and they have food and... 
and, and, and he's standing up and he's excited and he's, and, and he's got strength. And they look at him and they said, did somebody feed him? I mean, what, what's going on here? And Jesus said, I got food, I got meat to eat of that you know nothing about. You know what he was saying? There is something that's more important to me in my heart and my life than the, in anything these earthly things can bring to me. And that's being pleasing to my Father. That's being one with my God. That's, that's being connected to Him and seeing Him work in our lives. And whenever those things are going on, that is the goal of true fasting, is to get meat from God that nobody else really knows anything about. And this is where we want our reward to come from. We want, we, want a, a, we want to have a desire for God to see the genuine fast in our heart. Not this um, religious activity that a lot of people will do. Alright, y'all follow me this morning? Alright. And so all that matters is, all that matters in our fast is God, what He thinks, what He will do. We want Him to see. We want Him to see that we have deep desires for Him that lead us to fast. We fast for God to see that these earthly delights of creation are not enough to satisfy us. God, my daily bread is not enough. No, I need more. Because at the end of the day, after you get done eating breakfast, how much longer is it before you need more? It's not long, right? And then you eat lunch. And then after that, how much longer is it before you need more? And then the next, the night rolls over, and if you wake up at midnight, if you like me, you're digging through the cabinets at midnight looking for something to eat, right? You, you can never be fully satisfied with the things that this earth has to offer. And so the only thing that can fully satisfy us is the thing that all of these earthly things point to. See, here's the point. Food was given to us to satisfy and to nourish us and to point us toward the one that created food for this body. Everything that is created was to be an image and made in His glory, correct? Mankind. Let us make man and woman in what? In the image of God. And out of the image of God, He made them, male and female. Whenever the angels looked at creation in Isaiah chapter 6, they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His what? His glory. So in other words, when the angels look at creation and all the created things, they look and they see the magnificence of God. They see the wisdom of God. They see the power of God. They see the satisfaction of God, the joy of God. They see, uh, when, when we look in our child's eyes and we see the joy that they bring and the love that they bring to us, the point is we look at that and it ought to be like a ray of sunlight that we follow that ray back up to the source from where it comes from. We feel the warmth of it, but the source is up here. And this is exactly what these created things are supposed to do. They're supposed to point us back to the one who gave it to us because... The ultimate satisfaction comes by knowing Him. By spending eternity with Him. You look at your children, and I know, uh, I know the carpenters and several other people do family nights. And there's nothing, they've been doing it for a long time, there's nothing they love more than family night. They have all their family together, and they're all in the house together, and they, they love being together. And you want to know as much joy as that brings them? Is it going to last forever? No. But you know what it points back to? It points back to what it will be like when we spend 
eternity with the one in whom all of those were made in His image. And they're a cursed image of it. If you get whatever it is that you get the most joy out of in this life, if you, it, when your mouths are full and you're satisfied and you're chomping on that fatty ribeye or whatever it is that you love uh, the most in life, the point is that it ought to well something up in you so that you look back and say, this is a cursed image of what it's like to always be with God, to taste and see that the Lord is good. To be, you can take whatever relationship you have in this life, and if, if it is a relationship that you love and you cherish and you can imagine life without this relationship, the point is to be able to look back up to Him and go, that's a cursed image of what it will be like to spend eternity with the one who this person was made in their glory, in the image of their glory. And so fasting is where we separate from any normally good fleshly pleasure. And we use that time to say, Lord, what I want is You. What I want is more of You. And that is the desire and the goal. He is our ultimate reward. You know, listen, the world even knows that there are rewards from fasting. You think about people in your gym. There are people in, in the gym, if you go to the gym, but if you don't go to the gym, there are people at the gym, all right? And they are trying to muscle up or they're trying to get into shape. They're trying to lose weight. And the truth is, they're probably fasting more than you are. You know why? Because they know that there are rewards for their fasting. They know that as they diet and they eat right and as they do right and as they train and as they discipline themselves, they know that there is rewards from it. And so, why would it be any different in the spiritual realm? There are rewards for our seeking after God, our training ourselves in godliness and righteousness. And whenever we recognize those things, then there is nothing wrong with you pursuing after the reward of fasting. You know why? Because the reward is ultimately more of Him. It's more of Him is what we want and so we need to understand that fasting expresses this heart that longs to experience His knowledge. Sometimes we fast so that we can have more knowledge, or sometimes we fast so that we can have protection or guidance, or maybe we need strength in our life, or we are fasting for more righteousness in our life, or whatever the case may be, we always fast with a spiritual purpose. And as we do that, we are fasting for the reward that comes from it. And there is nothing wrong with that because God says He rewards those who fast genuinely for Him. So you think about this, Solomon, wisest man that ever lived. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 2 actually tells us that he had everything, anything. He had more relationships, more wives, more concubines. He had more chariots and horses than any king had ever had. He had more wisdom and knowledge than anyone had ever had. He had all of these worldly things. Alright? Yet, notice what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. And the preacher is Solomon here. Vanities of vanities, all is vanity. In other words, there was nothing in this world when he had it all. 
There was nothing that could satisfy him. And when he gets to the end of Ecclesiastes, he actually says, let's consider the end of the whole matter. Here's the end of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. This is man's purpose. In other words, when he got to the end of it, Solomon said the only thing that matters is nothing of this world, nothing of this flesh, but only the things that are of God. And then this is the same thing that Paul said. Uh, you don't have to go there, but in Philippians, Paul actually told, uh, told the, the church in Philippi there, he said, I count all things lost. Everything I ever had, my status as a Pharisee, my um, relationships in life, all the, the goods of this world, he said, I count it all lost and I count it as rubbish. Rubbish. For the sake of knowing Him. That's all that matters because he recognized that everything else in this world was vanity. And so when we have in our head this fear of fasting, this, this cry in our heart that says, I don't want to go without breakfast. I don't want to skip lunch. When you have this um, mentality that you just want to ignore this discipline and you don't want to follow this in your life, the fact of the matter is you're still holding on to these fleshly things so much that you think your satisfaction is actually found in those things. And you're missing it. Because when you set these things aside and you find Him, you find true satisfaction. You find what you're really looking for. And that is the reward and the goal of fasting. This is the reason why Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, he said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. You want to know what gain is? Gain is when you see godliness in your life. And gain is when you are content with that. When you're content with putting away the flesh so that you can grow in your relationship with Christ, that is the goal of fasting. And so again, there is always a spiritual purpose for fasting. You want to make sure that you understand going into this that you are seeking the Lord and it is usually that you are seeking the Lord for uh, some kind of guidance that you need in your life or you're seeking the Lord for more knowledge of Him or you're seeking the Lord for protection in His life or you're seeking the Lord for um, someone's healing in their life. There, is, there are many different things that we see in the Bible of how the people of God fasted. But that's the question I want to answer this morning. Here's the heart of the message. What did they desire, the people of the Bible, as rewards from genuine fasting? Go with me to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. And I want to show you what they actually looked for. We're going to start in verse 1. And I want you to understand that Daniel has been given a vision of end time events and what is going to happen and the, the trials and the tribulations that are going to take place and the wars between kingdoms. And Daniel has been given a vision of what's going to happen to the Jewish people and how God is going to... Um, to bring them back to Him. And all of this has been given to Daniel, but he doesn't understand it when he gets it. And he wants understanding. He wants to know what it is that God is actually talking about. Any of you ever read the book of Revelations and you say, well, I just can't understand it. Or you have not read it and you stay away from it because in your head you go, well, I just don't understand it. Right? That's a lot of mindset, correct? Daniel didn't have that mindset. Daniel got a book like Revelations given to him and instead Daniel said, I'm going to understand this. 
I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to fast for this knowledge until God gives me this. And notice in verse 10 what it says here. Or, I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel. His name was Belshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word. Now listen, this is after they give him understanding. You're going to see that here in a minute. But it says that eventually he did understand the word and he did have understanding of the vision. So notice what Daniel did before he got understanding in verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies or no pleasures, no pleasurous food. I ate no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for, for the full three weeks. And then notice what he says in verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris River, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, <clears throat> his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them. And they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of His words, and as I heard the sound of His words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And then notice what it says here in verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and my knees. And He said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you. Now that's pretty important right there. Daniel gets a vision. He don't understand it. So what does Daniel do about this great conflict that's going on inside of him? He seeks the Lord in fasting. And for 21 days, he refuses his flesh anything except basically vegetables and water. That was all he took. And the point being was this was a way for him to express his desire to God that unless you, unless I get more of you, nothing else can satisfy. Unless I gain your knowledge, this is not going to be enough. Unless I get your understanding, this ain't going to cut it. And this is the way fasting comes out of us. It says, God, I want you. I want to understand you more. I want to know you more. I want you to be with me more. Because you are the only thing that can truly satisfy. And then notice he keeps going. He says, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you. And stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for the first, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been what? That's pretty important. Why did Daniel fast? Daniel fast because he had a prayer that he needed answered. He had a prayer and he needed something that only God could provide. 
Have you ever been in a situation to where you had a prayer and you needed God to do something that no one else could do it? The only person that could do it is God. This is a good time to fast. This is a good time for you to put yourself in a place to where you seek the Lord with all of your heart because the reward for Daniel's fast here was since the day that you humbled yourself, since the day that you set your heart to understand and seek God, from that day you have been heard. Now this is pretty important. You know why? Because there are so many things in our life that hinder our prayers. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if the majority of our prayers in this room many times literally never make it past the tops of our heads. You want to know why? Because the Bible tells us all kinds of things that hinder our prayers. For instance, in the book of Psalms, um, Psalm, let me see if I can find that. Psalm 66 verse 18. Psalm 66 verse 18. Look at that verse if you don't mind. Notice what it says. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Did you catch that? When you and I have sin in our life that we refuse to repent from, that we refuse to acknowledge as sin, and that's what it means to cherish sin in our life. It's something that you just hang on to. When there are sins in our life that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and you know between you and God that this is not right. And you still continue to hold on to that and you love it and you want it. He says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to me. That tells me that there are things in my life that can hinder my prayers and keep God from listening to what I want for Him to do or want for Him to provide, whatever the case may be. Let me show you some other examples. Look at Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15 through 17. It says, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. That's pretty rough, right? I, I can't imagine God looking at me, even though this is He's looking at His people when He says this in Isaiah. He says, When you spread out your hands... I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. In other words, they had sin in their lives and because they were crying out to God but they wouldn't repent and confess the sin, God says, I'm not listening. And then he says in verse 16 of Isaiah 1, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes and cease to do evil. Now yes, again, we are washed by the blood of Jesus and that alone. Amen? That is it. Only the blood of Jesus can wash away our sins. However, even the New Testament, we are told to wash our hands, to cleanse our hearts, to draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. But there is a responsibility in us to, even when the blood of Jesus washes our sin away, there is a responsibility in us to repent of sin. 
You know, this is the very first word that Jesus ever preached. When, whenever He stepped into His ministry, the very first word He ever said is, Repent. You know why? For the kingdom of God is at hand. When John the Baptist stepped out and preached, the gospel that John the Baptist preached was, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Every message from there on out has always been, Repent. We have a responsibility to turn away from the darkness that God is calling us out of and turn to the light that God is calling us into. Y'all understand what I'm saying? And so when we have this lack of repentance in our life, when we have this cherishing of sin, it don't mean that you are not still a child of God, but it does mean that your prayers can be hindered. And it does mean that you can pray as hard as you want to pray and they not be heard. And that is a scary thing for me as a child of God. I can't imagine going to my father and yet because I will not do according to his will, he stops his ears from hearing what I have to say. Look with me um, at um, James chapter 4 verse 8. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Just in case you thought that was just an Old Testament concept I talked about in Isaiah. No, it's a New Testament concept as well. We have a responsibility to keep coming back. You know how? The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, I believe it is. He tells us that if we will confess our sins, that God is faithful and God is just and He will cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. And so we have this responsibility to keep coming back to God and to keep confessing our sins. Well, guess what fasting is a result of? Fasting is where you have recognized that I am going to cleanse and I am going to purify and I am going to repent and confess and remove these things and I am going to seek after Him. And when you do that, you are removing all hindrances. Let me give you another hindrance. The Bible tells us that if you bring your gift to the altar, in other words, if you have a gift for God that you're trying to give God, and you bring this gift to the altar, and there you remember that you and your brother have ought, have some kind of conflict. He says, leave your gift. Go and make your relationship right with your brother as much as is possible with you, right? Then come back and offer your gift. You know why? Because when there is conflict between you and another brother and sister, it hinders your relationship with God. The same thing that Peter taught about husbands and wives. He, had, he told husbands, he said, treat them gently, treat them right, treat them as my daughter, because if you don't, your prayers will be hindered. And I'd have to find that scripture for you, but it's in Peter, so it shouldn't be hard for you to find. 
The point being is that there are many things in our lives as children of God that can hinder our prayers. The thing about fasting is it is a time to evaluate ourselves. It's a time to examine ourselves and, and look at the sin in our life and confess that and to repent of it and to remove those hindrances so that as we pray and seek the Lord, He hears us. He hears us. And I love what the angel tells Daniel right here. He says, from the first day. That is so special. Daniel fasted for 21 days, and he didn't hear from this angel for 21 days. But he says, from the first day that you set your heart to humble yourself and to seek the Lord, you were heard. You were heard. Now go with me to the next part. Verse um, 13. I'm sorry, let's finish up verse 12. Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. It is the prayer of Daniel, the fasting of Daniel, that moved the heart of God, and he sent the help. He sent the, he sent the angel to come and to answer Daniel's prayer. This is so important here. Go with me to verse 13 to see where we get to the next part of what Daniel expected. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. That's another thing. This is on God's time, right? Do you not think that God could have allowed that angel to get there in a single day? Do you think God could not have allowed him to get there immediately? But God allowed Daniel to fast for 21 days. For 21 days before he showed up. He heard him the first day, right? But for 21 days, Daniel is fasting and seeking the Lord with everything in him. And then he says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, or one of the chief angels, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand. And so what we see in there is that Daniel's prayer was heard, Daniel's prayer was answered, I came because of your words. And then we also see that Daniel was given the understanding, the very thing that he was fasting for. And you need to understand that when you fast for your spiritual purpose, one of the great rewards if we're fasting for God and we're fasting for things that only God can do, things that glorify God, but help us in this life, you've uh, you got to understand that there is going to be a reward of that answer. Of that answer. Now again, I'm not saying that every time God's going to answer the way that you expect Him to answer. No, go to 2 Samuel chapter 12 and look at David's fast. God didn't answer the way that David expected Him to answer, but David was a better man because of the fast that he went through. And you can go read that yourself. But this is sort of the way it was in... Look at Acts chapter 13 verse 2. In Acts 13 verse 2, the church is trying to send people out to witness to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world, and they don't know which way to go. They have a great commission to fulfill, and they don't know how they're going to do it. So you know what they start doing? They start praying. They start fasting together. And the Bible tells us here that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting together, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So what was the answer? What was the reward for this church's fast? God answered them. God spoke to them. The Holy Spirit said. You know, how many times have you had something going on in your life 
to where you were saying, God, I can't hear you. God, I can't hear you. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're doing. uh, But I can't hear you. What's special about this right here is through prayer and fasting, they said, the Holy Spirit said. There was no question. They knew that this was the Holy Spirit's guidance. Now, did they open up a Bible and say, okay, well, God says right here, thou shalt send Barnabas and Saul. No. But every one of them together knew that this was God's answer and this is the right choice. And so this is the very thing that they got rewarded with in their fast was that they were seeking guidance, they were seeking understanding, they were seeking direction, and by the time they were done with their fast, they had it. God rewarded them. And maybe that's the same thing that happens in your life. So that's that's another good reason to fast. The next thing, He gives him understanding. Look at verse 14 again. And I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. And it's still for days yet to come. You know how I know that? Because Daniel teaches on the the abomination of desolation. I'm not going to get into what that is, but here's what Jesus said. He told the Jews... When you see the abomination of desolation that Daniel spoke of, run to the mountains. Do you know why Jesus said, when you see it? Because it hasn't took place yet. It's still for future days. And we're still looking for many of these events that Daniel saw here in his vision. But the point is is that Daniel received understanding. And you know, I can remember there were times in my life where I was praying. I didn't understand things. Um, And this doesn't always happen. I just want to give you examples. I remember whenever my my father-in-law, who's going to be with the Lord now, but they they diagnosed him with, with prostate cancer one time. And then they found out when they went in there, it wasn't just prostate, it was bladder cancer, and it was it was just it was a mess. They just closed him back up. They came out, and we were all standing in the hallway, and they come in there, and they basically told us, they said, you know, there's just nothing we can do. And I remember my knees just buckled. I mean, me and my in-laws have always been very close. You know, we've always been a very close family. And my knees just buckled, and I can remember, it was the first time that I had ever felt that in my life to where something, I had no control over that. And this was several years ago. But I can remember I went home and um, I started praying. I started fasting. And I can remember, um, I mean, on my knees just crying out to God for His healing. And long story short, the man was healed. He was healed and he did not die from cancer. He lived, I don't remember how many years after that, 15 years or 20 years more, I guess it was. I can't remember now. But he was healed. And... And I still look today that part of that was because of the way that people were praying and and fasting. And I had never sought the Lord the way I sought the Lord during that time in my life. I can remember a time when that man sitting right back there, Ricky Bishop. Now he's still got ailments in his body and he's still hurting. But I can remember a time when he was trying with a cane with everything in him to get to this altar. He just wanted to pray. He could get to it but he couldn't get down. And if he got down, he couldn't get back up. 
And it would take four, five, six guys around him here to try to get him back up. And I can remember we were at the hospital with him the morning he was going to have surgery. We were sitting in there with Lauren. And the doctors basically came in there before the surgery started and they said, listen, there's not any hope that things are going to get better. But what we're going to try and do is stop things from getting any worse. And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. And I can remember after Ricky come out of that surgery, I think it was the next Sunday. It may not have been. I can't remember. It wasn't long after. Without a cane, without anything, he walked up to that altar on his own. He got down on his knees on his own. He praised the Lord on his own. He got up on his own. He went back to his seat on his own. He did everything because the Lord heard the prayer. When the doctors would come out and tell us that there's really not any hope that it's going to be any better. All we can do is just try to stop it from getting any worse. I'm not telling you that every time you pray for something that God is going to give you that very thing. But I am telling you that I have seen evidence too many times in my life, and I could go on and on. I have seen evidence too many times in my life to where God answered our prayers. And I have seen it connected with fasting too many times to not believe that God truly does reward fasting. And ultimately, what you're fasting for, yes, but... At the same time, it's an understanding that, God, you're our only hope. God, these are things that we can only get from you. This satisfaction can only come from you. No one else can provide this. No one else can do this. You are our only hope. And I truly believe that those were examples of God rewarding us during those times and giving us understanding during trials. I wish I had time to go through the trials that we've been through. Uh, the things that, that God has sent us through in the ministry. And um, it's funny the way that me and Chastity and Nick and Amanda always were in ministry. We always went through the same things not long right after each other. Um, if, if they had a miscarriage, we had a miscarriage. If they adopted, we adopted. If that, no, matter, no matter what happened and what kind of trials they went through in their life, we were, it wasn't long before we were going through the same things. And it was just odd the way that our lives and ministry together just sort of ran a parallel path. But I can remember through those times that I would preach, there would be times I would preach in the pulpit through some of them trials and I would say while I'm preaching in my head, you don't believe this crap. Forgive me. I'm just being honest with you. Can I be honest with you this morning? There would have been times. This was years ago, okay? <laughs> but I'd be preaching in the pulpit. I was preaching a revival. My job was to preach the Word in such a way that it would help bring revival to other believers. And in my heart, I'm saying, I don't even believe this. Because of the trials that I was going through, and I can remember the, the, it was just the bitterness and the anger that I was feeling and the, the depression and the hurt. But I'm so thankful to tell you today that through it all, God strengthened me. God sustained me. God carried me through. 
God would provide. It may be days or years down the road, but I can look back now and I can have at least some understanding. I can at least have some comfort and, 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 and absolute assurance that God knows what He's doing. And I truly believe that those are some things that come through fasting and prayer. Go with me to the next verse. I've got to speed this up. <clears throat> verse 15. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. And I said to him who stood before me, O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision, pa- <coughs> excuse me, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. You see how troubled Daniel was in this? What he was experiencing, what he was going through, by reason of that, he had pains that he couldn't explain and he had no strength that had drained him of everything. So what do you do when you're going through something that you have no strength left, the pains are too much for you to bear, you can't even have the strength to get up and pray. You know how I know that? Keep reading with me in verse 17. How can my Lord's servant even talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. You ever been through something so difficult that you don't even have strength to pray? You know what you're supposed to be doing. You know what you need to be doing. And you can't even find no strength for that. What did Daniel do while that was happening? He fasted. He was in mourning it said. For 21 days, he ate no pleasant food. He abstained from these fleshly things to seek the Lord with everything in him. And during this time, he gained, he was heard, he was answered, he gained understanding, and he was strengthened. Look at verse 18. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me. And what did he do? He strengthened me. He strengthened me. I'm going to tell you, those times that we would go through those trials that the only reason I was able to keep going because it wasn't in me. But one thing I know for certain that He did, He touched me. He strengthened me. He gave me exactly what I needed to be able to endure that trial, to be able to go through that, and to be able to continue trusting Him through it, even with all the bitterness and, and the anger and the, all the things that my flesh and my emotions were feeling. He strengthened me. And then verse 19, And He said, O man greatly loved. And He comforts Daniel. Look at that right there. I love that. Old man greatly loved. Daniel is so full of pains and he is so drained of strength that, that he, don't, he don't know what to do. All he does is fast. And God steps in and strengthens him and then encourages him and comforts him. He says, Old man greatly loved. I'm so thankful that even in my sin, that even in um, the fact that I am so far away from where he would have me to be, I'm so thankful that even still, I am greatly loved. I am greatly loved. And he says, Fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened. Notice how he was strengthened? As he spoke to me. Strength comes from the Word of God. 
Strength comes from hearing from God. He strengthened me and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side except these, Michael, your prince. And so, I close this morning by saying to you that fasting is something that has really got lost in our, I'm going to call it religion, but let me say in our relationship with Christ today. Fasting is something that sounds taboo. Fasting is something that we, we avoid and we try to stay away from. But I want you to understand that God promises that there is a reward in fasting. And the ultimate reward is God Himself. We get more of God's knowledge. We get more of God's wisdom. We get more of God's joy. We get more of God's satisfaction. We get more of God's protection, more of God's guidance, more of God's answers. We are heard by God in our fasting because we remove all the hindrances that would stop our prayers from getting to Him. We get answered because God is going to answer in some way, some shape, some form. He will answer. We get understanding. We get strength. We get courage and comfort. And how many times have you went through things in your Christian life that you needed those things and this spiritual discipline was not in your life? I'm not trying to make you practice fasting. I'm not trying to make you look like some super spiritual elite. But what I am trying to do is, as your pastor, I'm trying to show you from the Bible that fasting is a spiritual discipline. Discipline means training that is expected to produce a certain pattern of behavior. And if you have to be disciplined in order to be good at anything in this world, don't you think there is discipline needed for you to grow in godliness as well? You want some spiritual muscles? You're going to need to do a little spiritual discipline. You want some spiritual strength? You're going to need to practice some spiritual discipline. And so it is my prayer that when you leave here this morning, that you would at least have it in your mind to understand that there is a spiritual discipline that the Bible teaches me that if I don't practice it, I'm the one that misses out. I'm the one that does not grow in this. You know, the early church actually fasted twice a week. The Jews fasted twice a week because of religion. The early church fasted twice a week on different days than the Jews did because they still wanted to maintain the discipline of fasting, but they wanted to separate themselves from a religious activity. Alright? And so, if that was the case, it was a habitual practice for them, should it not even still be so for us today? I believe so. And so I want to encourage you to examine this according to the teachings I've given you. This is the third one I've given you. If you haven't been here for the other ones, go back. 
uh, find our YouTube page. Go back and listen to the other two. I've taught on what it is. I've taught on how we do it. And now today I've taught on what the rewards are for it. And I pray that if there is these kind of rewards that you need from God, He grants them according to your genuine fasting to seek Him with all of your heart.